building up godly men for a better tomorrow. This is On the Edge with Ken Harrison, where we inspire men of integrity to put faith into action together. And now, here's today's show. This week on the podcast, we'll be revisiting one of our most popular episodes. Twin brothers David and Jason Benham, known as the Benham Brothers, joined Ken for a great discussion. They tackled topics such as faith in the workplace, leading your family well, and the impact of godly men who genuinely live their faith in all areas of life. Let's rejoin them right now. David and Jason Benham, two of my best friends, brothers from another mother. That's exactly right. Same father. Yeah, same father. You're a little bit better looking than we are, though. You yeah, got man. the Clooney thing going. Yeah, and you got Buzz Lightyear's voice. Why don't we have your biceps? That's oh, what we've been wanting. It's genetics, man. <laughs> Big arms, slow legs. <laughs> but once I mention the Buzz Lightyear thing, your listeners are going to recognize that you are definitely Buzz Lightyear. For sure. <laughs> I want to hit one of those filters on the microphone that makes your voice deeper. Yes. Deeper. So you guys, I want to jump right into content and just, just walk us through the quick HGTV story because yeah. it's so important to who you are and why God has blessed you so much to sure. this point. Sure. Well, since I, David, am the older brother, I'll start. Um, I like to call you Esau. He's Esau. <laughs> no, and we know on, how that turned out. It doesn't work out that way. He's a hairy man. Although David does manscape, so. Oh, come There's on, always that. Jason? Come on. <laughs> know your audience. You've hey, got Ken right across the table But the name of this podcast is On the Edge, right? That's right. Yeah. <laughs> it's literally on the razor's edge. Okay. So Jason and I, we uh, raised by a pastor in Dallas, Texas. He was a converted drunk, owned a saloon, got radically saved, became a pastor, we were athletes. Uh, dad was our baseball coach. He always taught us that if your theology... Well, no, you got to throw in that your dad was a radical pro-life oh, guy. Yeah. Thrown out... I mean, churches were ignoring him. Oh, 100%. Because that has a lot to do with why you guys ended up having such big spines. Yeah, that's exactly right. Well, so we would watch our dad, and and he was the guy that led uh, Norma McCorvey, who is the Jane Roe of Roe versus Wade to Christ, and baptized her, and... And the, the part of the story that most people don't know is that her lesbian partner, Connie, was sitting at our dinner table who also prayed to receive Christ. And so That's it was awesome. just an amazing yeah, thing. We were, so awesome. <laughs> here we were, teenage boys, watching the power of the gospel, right? And and our dad would always say, if your theology is not your biography, then your theology is worthless. In other words, mm-hmm. you can talk and sing and pray all things God, but if it doesn't translate into the way that you live and act and conduct yourself, whether it's in the marketplace or behind a pulpit or wherever you are, stay-at-home mom, whatever, um, then your theology is worthless. And so Jason and I took that to heart in baseball, and uh, we really went after it with all of our might. And by God's grace, we got scholarships to play at Liberty University. Out of Liberty, we got drafted. I was drafted by the Red Sox. Jason was drafted by an organization by the name of the Baltimore Orioles. I don't know if anybody's ever heard of those guys. Anyway, they are a baseball team. My problem was is I got drafted as a third baseman when Cal Ripken got moved over to third base. So my future was not very bright. <laughs> oh, his future was bleak regardless of where Cal was. Well, anyway, we, we uh, got out of baseball after four seasons and uh, relocated our families to Charlotte, North Carolina. And we didn't know what we were going to do, so Jason and I – we got our real estate licenses, and, uh, and, and we had no business training whatsoever. One thing we did have, though, when we went to Liberty at 18 years old, we committed to several things, but we committed that the, one of the most important things we were going to do is read through the Bible every year. So our dad gave us a Bible reading schedule. And we didn't have cell phones. I didn't even have a computer at Liberty. That tells you how old we are, but we'll be 45 next month. But we, um, anyway, so we read through the scripture every year. And by the time we got out of pro baseball and now we're 26, 27 years old, uh, we had a lot of principles of scripture and we didn't know that those would trans- translate into the marketplace as effectively as they did. So we started this real estate company. It grew seven years after we started it. It was 100 offices, 35 states. We started buying other companies. We franchised, and the next thing you know, we started an international company in the Philippines. We had a thousand employees. I mean, it just it grow, 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 and and so at the height of our business, 
TLC came to us and said, do you want a reality show? And we said, sure. So we were negotiating with TLC and then HGTV came in. They had just signed Chip and Joanna Gaines. They hadn't even piloted them yet. The general manager called my cell phone, didn't call Jason's, interestingly, called my cell phone and said, hey, uh, listen, we heard that you and your brother were going to sign. They had talked to a production company that was talking with my brother and I. We heard you're going to sign with TLC. Would you entertain an offer from us? So we said, sure. So they gave us, they said, we're not going to give you a pilot. We're going to skip the pilot. We're going to go straight to series, wow. six one-hour episodes, paid us a whole bunch of money. We signed with them, of course. And But before we signed with them, we said, do you know who we are? Do you know who our dad is? He's a very vocal pro-life uh, believer, and we also are vocal pro-life as well, and we also are pretty vocal about marriage as well. This was 2013, 14 now, and and marriage was becoming kind of the hot debate just before 2015, the Supreme Court hearing on the Obergefell decision that supposedly legalized gay marriage. And so Jason and I said, do you know who we are? And they said, yeah, we know who you are. And we see that this is what they said. We see the narratives that have been written about you and your family, but we know that your values translate to the American people. And we know that your show will will rate. So we signed with HGTV. Then the, as we're doing all pre-production, the Gaineses uh, pilot their fixer-upper show, and the ratings go off the charts. And so we get a phone call from our executive producer saying, oh, my goodness, we've got the Gaines family and the Benham families. This is going to be amazing. Mm. And then as our just before— You guys, uh, you would have been amazing. <laughs> I mean, it really would have been entertaining. It's, well, like, it's like two chip gains on the same show. We, <laughs> no, he's we pretty started, cool. We started production, and David and I were doing these films, uh, actually filming, like taking people into houses and all that. And we had seen HGTV before, and I remember telling our producer, I said, you know, I'm glad we're with the network, but it's a very boring network. I said, David and I have to be who we really are. And they said, no, you can be who you are. So I said, okay, well, if that's the case, then David would be the one walking the couple into the house. I'd be the one that would jump out in my paintball gear and light up the wall behind them with paintball. And they let us do it. Really? We had stuff like that. We played baseball in a living room where we actually brought a baseball in. We threw the ball straight through the wall to see if we could make it into the kitchen from the living room. By the way, after we were fired, I'm fast forwarding. We saw Chip do that on Fixer Upper, and I texted him, and I was like, you sucker, you took that from us. And he, he just threw a smiley face back to us. But we ended up so. Do so, you have any of these episodes? Or no, they, they took they, they kept took them, all the fun. Uh, yeah, but 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 anyway. So back to the story. So we're four weeks into a ten week film shoot, spring of two thousand fourteen. Fixer Upper had it was now in. They were already in season, and our show was set to air in the fall of fourteen. So we were going to be the big show in in the fall of fourteen. And as the commercial started running, that's when Glad, Right Wing Watch, Human Rights Campaign, you know, a lot of these activist networks, they said, hey, they reached out to HGTV and they said, do you know who these guys are? And HG goes, yeah, we know who they are. And of course, they went through the whole narrative. They hate this person. They hate this group of people. They hate these. They hate the hate, 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 hate. And so uh, HG fought for us. They said, no, that's not true. Now, by this point, we've been with HG for about 16 months. They're already paying us. We're basically a month. Long. We're on yeah. salary. I mean, it took a long time to build the shows. They called it Flip It Forward. Um, uh, they showed our... It's kind uh, of cool. I named it after your dad. Isn't that cool? Yeah, Flip yeah. Benham. So anyway, they um, they showed our, our sizzle reel, just a little three-minute clip at the upfronts in New York City. So all of the advertisers saw it. Next thing you know, they're getting calls from advertisers like, we want to advertise on this show. So, I mean, it's it's becoming a real thing. And HG calls us and says, man, these activist groups, you know, specifically GLAAD, man, they are just irate about you and your brother and your values. They can't stand your dad. And and uh, and they said, but don't worry about it because we're going to talk with them offline. We'll handle it. You guys are going to be stars on the network. Well, a week later, um, these guys would not leave them alone. And finally, HGTV called glad they they called us the night before they called glad in the morning and they said you're going to be stars on the network we're fighting for you don't worry about a thing none of these things that they're saying are true so they called glad and glad didn't like the story that they gave glad did not like it they wanted us fired and so glad tapped their good friend right wing watch on the shoulder and right wing watch is just you know it's what they 
kind of call themselves a news source, but really they're just this radical left organization that smears and vilifies and creates a brand new narrative against Christians or conservatives or anyone that doesn't, you know, buy the radical left agenda. So Right Wing Watch writes this new article on the Benham brothers, the Benham families, and it's really, it's slander, it's lies, it's smeared. I mean, they said we stood in front of a mosque chanting God hates Muslims. Nothing can be further from We were cancel culture before cancel culture was popular, and it was fake news before fake news became a thing. So you guys started both of those. Yeah, pretty yeah, much. Well, well a and Phil Robertson, a few months before us, had gotten targeted by some of these groups, and A&E suspended him, but then they brought him back, because, I mean, you, that's a $100 million show or $200 million, whatever it was. But Jason and I were kind of the first official, like, decapitated show. And so we... Um, so HGTV, after Right Wing Watch wrote this article, they start circulating their base, and now their base d- does what you know we call a hostile social media takeover. They just started lamb blasting advertisers, HGTV, HGTV. You don't care about this community or that community, which nothing could be further from the truth. And so, the next morning, Jason and I get a call from the executives, and it was funny. There were three execs on there, and I won't tell you which one was crying, but she was crying on the phone. She goes, "I cannot believe." They're doing this to you and your brother. Mm. And they were like, we have invested so much into this. We believe in you. We love you guys. But we just can't keep we can't keep going on because they're they're not going to let up. And that's when Jason and I were like, okay, hey, if you got to let us go, it's okay. We love you guys. And we've never said anything bad about HGTV. But um, then the next thing you know, we found ourselves, after getting fired, they didn't put out a press release. They just did a little statement on Facebook. It says... Um, we've decided not to move forward with the with the brother show, and uh, we went on two hundred one on one interviews. I mean, they were fighting over the interviews. All of the mainline shows, the news sources were wanting us to speak, and so we started speaking. And here's what's interesting: the more we spoke, the less they wanted us back on because the the American people were overwhelmingly in favor for us. And now, you know, with the rise of the internet and Google Analytics and all of these other things. 96 or 97 percent of the comments were for us like don't cancel their show are you kidding me these guys are transforming homes they're giving hundreds of thousands of dollars away to needy families you know you talk about all the racial reconciliation you talk about all the marginalized communities these guys are going in and helping housing and pride of ownership and giving money and all this other stuff and so um we found ourselves about two weeks after we were on the all these networks Nobody wanted to call us back anymore because then the the radical activist groups, they start targeting anyone that will give you a platform. They don't want anybody to put a bullhorn up to your mouth if you're going to speak the truth and speak it boldly, especially if you're going to speak with compassion and you recognize that Jesus loves you, he's forgiven you, and you're no better than anybody else, but you are going to stand for his truth and his principles and then hopefully bring excellence to the marketplace. And that's what we did. And so uh, that's kind of the story in a nutshell, in a five-minute nutshell. Five minutes. That was more like 15 minutes. Ken, it's a great story, but you know if you ask David the question, I might not get to talk anymore. So you want to lob one my way? I'm actually surprised because you guys are usually kind of like a little bickering couple that interrupts each other. You were very obedient. He was. was. Because he recognized that I was carrying the story, and I actually made him look half decent. So I want to talk about, you know, the fact that you guys almost compromised and yeah. Dr. Michael Brown. Give us that. Yeah. yeah. I think need to hear that. Well, because about... right now, let me, let me set this up for a minute. Right now, you guys are the total heroes. You're, every time we read about a hero, we read about the process that you just gave. Yeah. And men think, well, I can't be that guy. Oh, I mean, gosh. I would doubt. I would, I would have a problem. So, so give us the... Sure. And then... Okay. Yes. So this is Jason speaking and... and this was the best part of the whole story. You see, we didn't know that God was going to divinely sabotage us and take the show from us and then put David and I in a situation where we, we did stand boldly and you know we didn't back down from our faith in front of a watching world. But we did when the world wasn't watching mm-hmm. because about it was probably four or five months prior to us getting fired is when we had an opportunity to back down on our faith because some of these activist groups had already started kind of coming at HGTV. And and then it got really heated up to about a month before we got fired. And then it got it started to go crazy about two weeks before we got fired, where they were putting so much pressure on HG that our producer called us and said, hey, 
look, that Gladys put so much pressure on us. Like they really do not like what you guys stand for. And we talked with our producer and specifically it was our stance on pro-life and our stance on marriage. But it wasn't just our stance. It was the fact that we were vocal about that, that we would post things on social media like, you know, we're, we're, we're pro-life and we've got this pro-life organization that we started. And that, and that, you know, regardless of whether or not Barack Obama flipped his decision on marriage, God never flipped his decision and marriage is between a man and a woman. And so we would tweet out little things like that. And they said, guys, you know, I mean, we believe like you guys do, but it it just be nice if if you guys would kind of quiet it down a little bit. This was our production company. It's our production company. So David and I met together and we thought, you know, there's a few websites, maybe a few videos we could take down. So we decided that we would start the process of taking those down and and in the process of doing that, we uh we said, "Hey, let's let's write an email to HGTV basically explaining our beliefs and uh and just let them know that that um we'll be quiet when we go on talk shows." about you know our faith and they had already lined up ellen and all these talk shows where they were going to put us on and so david wrote this email and he sent it over to me and i read it and basically the email said hgtv this is what we believe you guys know what we believe but i tell you what when we're on talk shows once our show airs um we'll be quiet about those beliefs i felt good about it david felt good about it and before we sent it to hgtv we decided to send it to a pastor friend of ours specifically dr michael brown in the line of fire. If you haven't listened to his radio show, you need to. Uh, and he's been a mentor of ours for 15 years. We sent him this email and said, hey, Doc, what do you think about this? Because HG is getting threatened, and we want to make sure that they know that we're safe, guys. And you know, if, if we can get into 100 million homes, like they're saying, then we're going to be able to share the gospel. But Yeah, we wanted that platform. But if we don't you know, kind of quiet down a little bit, then we may never get this platform. Uh, of having reality television. Interestingly, we decided not to send that email to our dad because we knew exactly what he would say. He would rebuke us so fast. So we thought that Dr. Michael Brown, this is a safe place, he's going to say yes. Yeah, and so we sent it to him, and you know what? Within about three minutes, he sent a scathing email back and said, you boys don't need to send that email. Actually, what you need to do is get on your knees and repent. Because how do you know that God hasn't raised you up for a time like this to tear down a stronghold that's ransacking this nation? He wasn't in that very, moment. He wasn't very Christ-like. You see, nobody nobody knew that that was going on behind the scenes, and and yet David and I knew in that moment that we were we were just like Peter when he promised Jesus that he'd never deny him. David and I knew that we were like Peter in that moment when not only did he deny him, but he denied him three times to a girl that asked him. Aren't you one of them? And Peter denied him bold face. And he showed us something very powerful that boldness apart from brokenness makes a bully. You see, like I said at the very beginning, we didn't know that God was going to put us through divine sabotage and put us in a position to stand boldly for the whole world to watch. And then David and I walk into places and people clap, oh, you guys are so heroic. And I'm like, you have no idea. Mm. What you really need to see is where we were before that. God put us on our knees and we had to repent of a man-pleasing spirit. We were operating out of a fear of man rather than a fear of God. And because of that, we had a false peace. When we wrote that email, we both felt good about it. And we were doing it for the Lord. And I say that in scare quotes. We were doing it for the Lord. And yet it was a false peace because we were operating out of that wrong fear. And we moved from operating spiritually to operating strategically to where we now were enslaved by the platform that we didn't want to let go of rather than being focused on the God who put it there in the first place. And that's what God taught us through that, that the secret to courage is first recognizing your inner coward. So then you can allow the Holy Spirit to unleash your inner lion. Well, we never sent that email. We decided, you know what, let's delete the email. But funny, we saved it because we kind of had a feeling at some point we need to tell this story about this email. And so when we wrote our first book, Whatever the Cost, we published some of that email in the book just to let people know, look, we fa- we all face fear. And the, the, the core of our fear was a fear of man, and it was also a desire for a platform, a desire for money. When we roll through Target now, because, I mean, HG had told us, we're going to put you guys in all the big departments, you know, the biggest department stores, you guys will probably strike a deal with Home Depot or do something big. I roll through Target now and I see Magnolia, and I thank God because they're such an amazing family, and I love Chip. Uh, and we thank God for that. But I also am kind of like, there's a part of me is like, 
dang, that would have been nice. <laughs> you know, I sure would have loved to cash in on but that. But God knew what he was doing. And we are the fourth book that we wrote is called Bold and Broken, Becoming the Bridge Between Heaven and Earth, that God has called each one of us. And you as a listener, as you're listening to this, God has called you specifically to be a bridge between heaven and earth. And that that's God doesn't want us to just pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He wants us to participate in that. Jesus was the ultimate bridge, but now we participate in bridging that gap. As Ezekiel 22 says that God is looking for a man and a woman who will stand in that gap and become that bridge. But there are ditches on both sides. Because as we heard, learned through our story, that boldness apart from brokenness makes a bully. So that's a ditch on the one side. And this is where people can find themselves in the cultural context today. Yeah. They get so daggum mad at what's going on, at the Black Lives Matter lie that's ransacking our culture right now and taking young the kids, the ideologies. The statement is amazing. And, and you get so doggone mad, but and, and, and you're going to stand bold and you're going to speak the truth, but man, there's no brokenness, there's no humility there. Which is what Peter did. He, he wakes up and he grabs the sword and Jesus says, uh-uh, no, 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 we don't hurt. When people come at us with hate, we don't respond with hurt. Yeah. You don't do that. So Jesus healed instead of hating back, and he taught Peter that lesson. And that's where a lot of Christians can find themselves today. So you've got the ditch on one side that would, would make you a bully. But the ditch on the other side is that uh, brokenness apart from boldness makes a bystander. So that's where we also find a lot in the church today, where they're broken over their sins. But doggone, they don't want to stand boldly for truth, because if Jack. they do... They could be ridiculed on Facebook, you know, and and God forbid a pastor speak about what's going on racially and call out BLM for what it is or speak about marriage from the pulpit. If you do, then you could lose your platform, you could lose your congregation, and now all of a sudden the very congregation that God gave to them becomes their idol, and they're enslaved by that very congregation they're not willing to let go of, and they become a bystander. So you don't want to be a bystander or a bully. What you want to become is a bridge, and the only way to do that is to stand boldly on the foundation of brokenness. And God did that in us through that story with HGTV. It's a lot of bees, man. It Dude, is, right? totally. Yeah. Jason, I'm going to start calling more... you Ben Harrison. Hey, Jason, <laughs> Jason took up more time than I did. It's not true. That's not true. He was, Ken was riveted. Give me the last <laughs> statement again, if you remember, because there's a lot of bees, and I think there's people trying to take notes. Yeah, I got you. Okay. Boldness apart, apart from brokenness makes you a bully. Brokenness apart from boldness makes you a bystander. But what God wants is for you to stand boldly on the foundation of brokenness so that you can become a bridge and, and the key between there, heaven and earth. The key there, when people hear the word broken... They're like, what? Like I'm out of the game? No, brokenness means you're in the game. Our dad taught us when we were kids that only those horses willing to be broken by their master are fit to pull the king's chariot. The rest are left to pasture. Mm. Isn't that awesome? Like when you've been broken over your sin, like King David was, you know, when he committed horrible atrocities, and yet he asked God to forgive him. And as men, we can be caught in horrible sins, but when we truly are broken and we confess our sin, it says in Scripture that if you confess and forsake, you'll find mercy and forgiveness. You confess your sin, you forsake your sin, you humbly submit to God's discipline according to the church, then I'm telling you, you can be a bold person because you've now been broken, just like that horse. You've been broken, but those that refuse to be broken, those that refuse to repent, mm -hmm. those that refuse to confess that Jesus is right and I'm a sinner— and I, I know that I'm going down the wrong path. Those that, that refuse that, you know, they'll be like the horses left to pasture. And sure enough, man, when the wintertime comes, you'll look in at those horses that are part of the king's chariot, and you'll see them. They're warm, and they're fed, and they got hay and fire and all that other good stuff, and they're out there freezing to death. So, you know, Jason and I have had to had to experience that on many levels in our lives But, as you men. know, brokenness isn't just about humility. It's also about David's jump shot. It is totally broken. Like, he cannot hit a jump shot on the basketball court. That's not, the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Not one bit. I'm not joking. It's just it's like watching a baseball bit. player try to play basketball. It's just, <laughs> it's just disgusting. It just doesn't work. Actually, in, in, in all truth, it's actually worse watching a wrestler try to play basketball. You know, oh, my, yeah. My son's a wrestler. He's so athletic, but watching him take a shot, it's like, what was that? Oh, yeah. <laughs> There's, but he'll drop it. It's a pet peeve of mine to watch a sports movie, and they didn't recruit somebody who can actually, somebody who can actually throw a ball or shoot a basketball. So I love about that movie, Hoosiers, you know, that guy that plays. Oh, Jimmy. The, yeah, he was playing for a D3 local college, yeah. and 
Yeah. Like they did, the, they did that in one take that where he just keeps shooting while Gene Hackman's talking to him. That was Are you one serious? shot. That was just the kind of, you know. Oh, wow. Well, this it. is a typical dude conversation. We're like <laughs> deep talking about the Lord, and now all of a sudden, bang, we're running after this acorn. But I do want to say this. Jason and I travel and we speak, and a, a lot of dudes will come up to us and go, man, I really appreciate your stand. And one guy in particular, we're in the DFW airport, and he comes walking over to us. And just before he got up to us, because we had noticed he was kind of looking at us from across the way. And just before he got up to us, he looked over each shoulder, one shoulder, the other shoulder. And then he leaned in and he whispers, are you guys the Benham brothers? <laughs> and we said, yeah. And then he looks over his shoulders again and, uh, and he said, thanks for your stand. And then like ran away from us. Wow. And we recognize that there's millions of men just like that. Mm -hmm. And I don't know what his story is. I have absolutely no idea what's going on. But what Jason and I have found is that now is our time. This is our moment as men of God. This is our moment as men who have placed our faith in Jesus Christ to get right with the Lord, to abide with Jesus, to make our relationships with our wives and our kids right, to find, hey, where are the bridges that I've burned in the past? Go back, make things right. Because right now, we need to be standing with courage. We there. This is not a time for cowardice. And, and the same rising tide of evil that sinks some boats makes champions fly to the top. I mean, it 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 causes us to rise to the occasion, and and that's really what the Lord wants us to do. And this is not a this is not a time to try to promote ourselves. This is not a time to sit here and just try to look handsome and and to uh, try to build your own platform or whatever all this other stuff. Now is the time to lay your platform down. Now is the time to give your absolute best to the Lord in the marketplace. Now is the time to be right with your wife and your kids. And if you're not married yet, to lay down pornography. Get rid of the stuff. Get rid of these the sins that so easily entangle us because that baton is in our hand. It's our moment. Well, and I would say what, what, what David just said about the whole pornography piece, that, that a lot of men out there would say, you know what, I, I can't get out on the field of battle because I've lost and in the pornography area or I've, or I've failed morally. And, and what we would say to you is look, repent of that and then get on the field of battle, you know, and then stand for truth because just doing that will bring an added layer of accountability that you need. Once you're in the battle, you begin to find yourself, you know, and that's such an important thing. And, and I'll just give you one quick example, uh, going back to what I said about brokenness apart from boldness makes you a bystander. Uh, there was a, Christian musician, how many years ago? It was about three years ago when he left his wife and kids for another man. And he was applauded. He was paraded out uh, on The View, and people applauded him like you're being true to your real self. And I remember thinking, man, if he, if he left his wife and kids for another woman, He'd he be wouldn't be applauded. He'd be a scumbag, right? Well, this, this, uh, this guy had done that, and he was on The View, and one of my wife's friends reached out and said, hey, what 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 does the Bible say about marriage? And like, is gay marriage a real thing? Because I have a cousin who's who's gay, and uh, he wants to get married to somebody, and he's also Christian, and he thinks that it's okay. And so my wife, of course, obviously, you know, took her to scripture and and all that. But then she, my wife started thinking it would be really great if some of the well-known pastors, the the ones whose names we all know, would actually say something about it. Mm. So she called one. She she didn't get a chance to talk to 40, him. 40,000 members. Yeah, like 40,000 members and called his his office. And of course, you can't get through to him. And But she got through to one of his senior staff and said, well, what does he say about marriage? What's the official from, position? What's the, the official church? position? And her response was, we have been instructed by him, our pastor. And I really don't want to call him out by name. Not he's yet. one of my favorite teachers. Not yet. He's really good, but Not at yet, some but point. there will come a time. But his official stance is, our church remains intentionally vague about the issue of marriage, because if we speak about it and hold a hard line, we'll lose half our congregation. Those exact words, I heard them with my own ears, and that phrase, intentionally vague, just grated my every nerve. And I'm like, in that moment, is that what we need? Intentional vagueness? When an ideology is literally keeping people enslaved. Right. There are people that will stay enslaved because they'll only listen to this guy, and, and, and he won't say it. So in our own story, I get it. 
I know the feeling of wanting to be intentionally vague because I don't want to lose my platform. I didn't want to lose those endorsements. I didn't want to lose our reality show. And I'm sure this pastor doesn't want to lose his celebrity status with his 40,000 people. I'm sure he doesn't want to lose his security detail. I'm sure he doesn't want to lose his book deals and his little platform. But I'll tell you what, true biblical fathers, the Apostle Paul said in the book of 1 Corinthians, you have many teachers, few fathers. What does a dad do? Dads do not run from bullets when their kids are being threatened. When when the wolf shows up in John chapter 10 to rob, to kill, and to destroy, dads don't run the other way. This, this teacher's running the other way. He's showing that he's a hireling. He ain't a true biblical shepherd, not a true biblical father. And so this is where Jason and I are like, but we get it. I know the feeling. I was the exact same way. Thank God I had Dr. Michael Brown in my life. Thank mm-hmm. God we have each other. Thank God we have now Ken Harrison and the other radical wackos that will keep us accountable because that's what we need. We need some true biblical manly love in the church that's going to call men out and say, hey, let's do this together. We're all afraid. Let's lay it down. Let's live for Jesus. Pick up this cross. You know, that pastor that you're talking about clearly doesn't understand the judgment seat of Christ. Mm-hmm. And as you guys are talking, I mean, you think he's going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ someday, as it says in James, he's going to be judged more stringently than the average person. Yeah. And Jesus is going to say, I got people, let's lay aside the Calvinism and the Arminianism for a minute. I got people who are in hell because you never told them the gospel because you wanted to be popular. How do you think Mm -hmm. it's going to go for that guy at the judgment seat of Christ? Oh, boy. Man. You're so yeah. judgmental, Ken. <laughs> but you know, the, I'm just asking the question. It's a healthy fear of the Lord, and I think that's really what you're getting yes. to, because you're, you're 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 looking toward the judgment seat of Christ, which God is a good judge. It says He's a good judge. He's He's not some mean, condescending, unrighteous judge. No, He's a good judge. He's a loving sure, Father, and He's a good judge. And a good judge means is He judges the actions. And so, but it's the healthy fear of the Lord, and this is where Jason and I have been saying, especially to young men, we're talking to a lot of dudes, and we're in the marketplace. We're doing entrepreneurial summits, and we're talking to college kids and all these, and we're saying the fear of the Lord is a good thing. This is the fear of the it's Lord the is wisdom. wisdom. It's the beginning yeah. of wisdom. That's right. And and here's what we mean by the fear of the Lord. If I go up into a 60-story condominium building in Uptown Charlotte, and I see the balcony, and I open up the sliding doors, and I step out on the balcony only to realize there's no rails, what's going to come over me? probably the fear of heights. And what that's going to do is cause me to go back to safety. It's not going to cause me to walk out there freely and maybe get thrown off by a gust of wind, but the fear of heights leads me to safety. If I'm walking through the woods and I see a rattlesnake right in the path, the fear of getting bit by the snake, which is a godly inbuilt fear in us now, it protects us. It keeps us safe. So the fear of God is a good thing. The fear of God prevents us from making foolish decisions of getting off the straight and narrow. The fear of God is so healthy because now we're looking toward the judgment seat of Christ. Well, I think you could, I mean, when you have a good dad like you guys did, mm-hmm. you had a fear of your father and it was a fear of disappointing him. him. Yeah. It wasn't a fear of punishment. That's right. It was a fear of uh, when you have such deep love and respect for a man that you know has laid out everything for you, you don't want to let him down. I think that's what fear of the Lord means. That's right. But there is... I mean, when you talk about judgment, you think about Matthew 25 specifically, you know, the 10 virgins, the Mm -hmm. five that don't get in are shocked that they're not being let in. And they're saying, Lord, let us in. He's like, I don't know you. And you think about the sheep and the goats. And the goats are like, what do you mean? What, we, we did didn't we cast out demons we were, in your name, prophesying? Didn't, didn't we have a huge church? Yeah. And we wouldn't take a stand? So my point is, you, you don't see in the Bible people saying, oh, yeah, I'm going to hell. You see people shocked that they're not being allowed into heaven. And so <laughs> that's, a good point. that's something that, that I think we should all kind of bear in mind. And, and how many times does the Apostle Paul say, make sure your election is clear? The, uh, uh, Peter, yeah, yeah. First, first Peter 1, make sure to be absolutely sure of your calling in Christ. Mm-hmm. And so, gosh, I think if you're not willing to stand for truth, if you're, if you're going to be vague knowing that What's it say in 1 Corinthians 6? There are certain people who are not going to be in the kingdom of heaven, and you're not going to warn them because you're worried about your money and your popularity. I I think you might want to take a serious look if my calling and election is sure. And Jesus, even in the Gospels, and I'm just thinking of Mark 8, and I know it's in Matthew as well, but he says, if anyone is ashamed of me and my words, 
That's the key in this sinful and adulterous generation. The Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes with his holy angels. So if God's word has spoken it, and your profession is the one that's actually supposed to take God's word and show us what it means, and yet you won't speak about certain facets of that word, that's where we would come in, David and I would come in as entrepreneurs, business guys, and, and, and Jesus lovers and say, come on, pastor, what you don't know is that if you take a stand and half your congregation leaves, it's going to be filled with another 20,000 people that will come in that will just p- applaud you for your bravery. Yeah. And so... But, and one of the things that when God really right. moves, like think about, think about your like, health and fitness, when you're getting in shape... What happens to your body? You get smaller, and yet you get stronger. See, David steals all my thunder. Like, I totally could have said that. Like, that was my thing that I came up with, and yet he interrupted me, and I couldn't deliver that amazing. You and get I got smaller, and it. you get stronger. <laughs> but it is true, right? Today's episode is brought to you through the generosity of Waterstone. For nearly 40 years, Waterstone has assisted givers in supporting their favorite charities, like Promise Keepers, by crafting customized, innovative giving solutions. Waterstone gift strategists stand ready to create your personalized charitable plan, utilizing business interests, real estate, appreciated assets, charitable trusts, giving funds, and more. These donor-specific giving strategies allow givers to bypass capital gains taxes, receive a fair market value charitable deduction, and have tax-free growth for years to come. Prioritize income, minimize taxes, and optimize your giving with Waterstone. Find out how to give and receive the most from your assets by visiting www.waterstone.org. And now, back to today's show. Talking to Jason and David Benham um, about boldness, about humility and brokenness. So, if I'm listening to this right now, I think I'm asking two questions. At the beginning, you talked about you guys were baseball players, and then suddenly you were super successful. And I'd be asking myself, how did you guys get so successful so quickly? And number two, I'd be asking, how did you get to be so bold? And there's some ideas. We know that you had a really good dad. But, I mean, David, you were in jail mm-hmm. a few months ago standing up for the lives of unborn babies. And mm-hmm. so you guys are going to jail. Um, you're giving up fame and fortune. So, number one, how did you get so successful? And then number two, how did you become so courageous? Because I think men listen to you guys and they're like, I want to be like them, but I don't know if I can. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Okay, well, this is Jason. I'll tackle the success part. And first I would say that um, faithfulness in your work leads to promotion, and faithfulness in your walk leads to persecution. At least we're not going with the bees. But you know what I'm saying? Like, it's another alliteration. Yeah. It's, it's what God is calling for is faithfulness. And whether you're persecuted or promoted, you don't have any control over that. All God wants you to do is be faithful right where you are. And so we operated by a certain set of principles that we discovered in the Bible. And so it doesn't matter if you are working for a man who owns a landscape company, or if you're the person who's actually making the eggs at Waffle House, or if you're CEO of Waterstone Financial, doesn't matter where you are. What God is calling for is faithfulness for you to make your work, your worship. And when you're faithful in the little, God promises that he is going to bless that abundantly. And you'll do things like you'll give more in value than you take in pay, wherever you are. And we teach people that. Like that was one of our core principles. Whatever we do, we're going to give more in value than we take in pay. We're going to be a fountain and not a drain, just like your water fountain. It's always looking for a source, right? If the water fountain had feelings, it's just like, give me the source. And it wants the source of water. A drain, on the other hand, if it's got feelings, it's always looking for a fountain. It's like wanting to attach to a fountain, but the fountain wants to attach to the source. And we say, attach to the source. You get up every morning and spend good time in, in, in prayer and Bible study and recognize where Jesus was at 29 years old. You see, the New Testament shows us Jesus from 30 to 33. We get a glimpse when he's a baby, a glimpse when he's 12, but nothing from 12 to 29, right? But what do we know about him? He was working. He was working. What do you think his workday looked like? He'd get up in the morning and spend time with God, his heavenly Father, and then he'd go out there and he'd kick butt at his job. Right. He was excellent at what he did, and then he got paid for it. And so we would say, you approach work like that, 
And then profit will chase you down. You don't have to go after. You don't have to think, I've got to try to make all this money. All you have to do is be faithful in the little, give more value than you take in pay, and then be a fountain and not a drain wherever you go, and just watch what happens with your success. And so to summarize what you're saying, you're saying basically seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. That's another way to say it. A really wise man said that. That's right. That's 100%. And so to, to finish what Jason just said, and I'll give it, it, there's a little statement, and we say to young kids all the time, I just said it at a pro-life rally on Saturday, 500 young people. I said, you focus on depth and let God handle your breadth. Because we think about the breadth of our branches. I want to be wealthy. I want to have, I want to, you know, be famous, or I want to succeed. I want to do all these things. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and while that's fine, you focus on depth. In other words, you pay attention to the roots of your faith. Abide in Christ, get into the Word of God, be attached to the local church, be in community, have accountability, submit yourself to the Lord. These are simple biblical disciplines that when you focus on that depth, God will then handle the breadth of your branches in the marketplace. That's exactly what Jason and I have seen in our own lives. We look back and we tell people that's where we start. And we we consult major CEOs and corporations and billion-dollar entrepreneurs. Jason and I talk to them, and they're like, hey, I'm really struggling with this or I'm struggling with that. And every single time we start back with what is your personal routine? Walk me through 5 a.m. to 10 p.m. or 6 a.m. to 11 p.m. Walk me through your day. We start right there. And I want to know everything they're doing. And then Jason and I also get into, okay, tell me what you're struggling with. Do you have secrets right now that you don't want to talk about? We get into the depth there mm-hmm. because that's really the foundation. So a wise man builds his house on a rock, right? Okay, that's success. But then in terms of courage, when we look at King David's life, and this really meant a lot to us with HGTV because we read the Bible had many years, and then we're with HGTV, and the story of David and Goliath really came alive to us in terms of courage. We know in the New Testament that the Holy Spirit filled the apostles with boldness. That's what it says in Acts chapter 4, verse 29. That was the Holy Spirit. Well, what did that look like in the Old Testament? Well, David obviously was empowered by the Holy Spirit to take down that nine-foot giant, and it saved the people of God. But if you look at what happened to him before that, he was faithful in the little things, right? Tending his father's sheep. He took out the lion and the bear. No one was around. YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. He didn't get to record it for himself and get all the likes and the hearts and the shares. He didn't get any of that. He was faithful in little things. So that kind of goes back to depth and breadth. But then he gets anointed by Samuel to be the king. He's already told, here he is a teenage boy, you're going to be the king. Now imagine daydreaming about that, like, oh my goodness, I'm going to be the most powerful person in the nation. Well, a few months later or a year later or however long it was after Samuel anointed David king, David's dad said, hey, David, go to the battle line, bring your brother some food. So then when David goes out there, he hears Goliath. Now all of a sudden, David has a choice. I was just anointed king. I've got a very bright future. I have a platform. I have a reality show. I have a church. I have a business. I have a book deal. I have a following. I have whatever it may be that has been given to us by God, just like David was given the kingdom by Samuel. Whatever it is could have held David away from the fight. But instead of being like Saul, who's sitting in his tent, he's the king of the day, and he should have been fighting Goliath, Saul saw a giant too big to fight. David saw a giant too big to miss, and David was willing to die to his dream. He was willing to die to that platform. He was willing to die to the fame, die to the fortune, die to the power, die to all that stuff to fight Goliath. And the reason why, and and we've talked with you about this before, is David hears that there's a reward right? He goes to the battle line, he hears Goliath, and then he hears someone say, hey, do you know what's going to happen to the man who kills that giant? He's not going to have to pay taxes. He's going to be wealthy, and he gets to marry the king's daughter. And David's like, what? Tell me me about that reward. Yeah, he even asked again, now tell me about that reward. Now, so rewards are okay. Now, that wasn't ultimately his motivation. The ultimate motivation, he was empowered by the Holy Spirit. There was an uncircumcised Philistine giant that was taunting the armies of the living God, and, and David said, absolutely not. So, here David was, he goes and he takes Goliath down, and of course we know the rest of the story. The people of Israel are saved, and, it, and really that is a battle between light and darkness, good and evil, 
the truth and lies. And it's the same battle today. The same battle that David fought is that same spiritual battle. Now, Jesus is the ultimate David. He's the ultimate king. He's the ultimate one that slays Leviathan, slays Goliath, slays uh, the demons of hell, slays uh, Lucifer. But what we've got to see is that even in our own lives, we got to fight. we got to fight spiritually. And the only way you're going to be courageous first is to be faithful in little things. Take out the lion and bear when no one else is looking. Faithful. Shut that laptop, Dad. Shut that laptop, young man. Get off that phone, young man. Get into the Word of God. Yes, it hurts. I know you're burning. <laughs> Pray for your wife. Go ahead and marry her in your heart right now. Because remember, God's not your only father. He's also your father-in-law. And fathers-in-law <laughs> do not That's like good, it when man. their daughters are marrying perverts. And I'm speaking to all of us. We've all struggled. There ain't a none of us in this room on this podcast that haven't had struggles. All of us have. But put it down. Be faithful in little things. And then second, don't be full of yourself. Don't look at your job. Don't look at your success. Don't look at your your, your work as an identity. Look at yourself as a child of the king who is going to fight a spiritual battle. And if God brings that battle to your doorstep, you fight it and you do not look at what you're going to lose. And let me wrap up boldness with this one statement. That your greatest blessing will only be found on the other side of your greatest fear. And this is why God brings us to that battle. God brings us to face our fear, just like David had to face his fear, just like David and I had to with HGTV. Like, we didn't want to lose the the show, right? But God brought us to face that fear. And yeah, we did lose the show, but the greatest blessing was on the other side of that, was that now we get an opportunity to talk to Christians about standing boldly for the faith. I would rather do that than demolish houses and restore them on reality TV all day long. Your greatest blessing is found on the other side of your greatest fear. And so for those of you who are listening right now, if you're thinking about that thing that you don't want to lose that you're holding on to in your hand, let that go first. And then you stand out there and you face your fear. And I promise you, your boldness will precede the miraculous in your life. You guys said something important that we don't talk about in the church much, which is rewards. David, that's not why he did it. He did it out of love for God, but he also claimed his reward. Yes. And Jesus talks about how many times, hey, anybody who gives a cup of water to one of these little ones, I will never forget his reward. That's right. Right? Uh, our, when you go into your closet to pray, our Father who sees in heaven will reward you. That's right. And we're told over and over by the Apostle Paul, don't let Satan snatch your rewards. And yeah, so that's right. I did have one legalistic Christian I was talking to a while back saying, well, I, I don't care about rewards. I just do things for Jesus. And no, I said, well, God said you should care about rewards. Yeah. Yes. And so I think... For men, you know, a lot of times they need a reason to do something. Yeah. There, there needs to be a competition. This is why, you know, like not keeping score in soccer games for little boys is oh, so damaging to little boys because yeah. every one of them's keeping score. Right? Oh, you better believe it. I know that I scored one goal and David scored two goals and Jason scored three goals, and that means Jason's a better soccer player than I am. And, mm-hmm. you know, and when adults say it didn't matter, we're as little kids are going, these adults are all stupid. Like, I can't trust adults, you know. Men need rewards they need to know that there's something to drive towards towards winning and we've taken that out of the church yeah we said no don't worry about rewards and there's not gonna be any judgment and you get saved say a little prayer and then it doesn't matter what you do with the rest of your life you're just gonna go to heaven and you're gonna hang out with Paul and David and that's not what the Bible teaches yeah listen so Jason and I you know I I want to be at the marriage supper of the lamb and if I'm sitting by Gideon if I'm sitting by David if I'm sitting by these men by Paul and Peter, and they're like, okay, I remember when we did this and, you know, the Goliath went down. Now, tell me about you. The last thing I want to do is be like, well, I got ridiculed on Twitter and I shut Sorry. my account down. You know, I, that, that's just ridiculous. And, not, and you don't have to say that. I, mean, I think know. about the pain you went through. You can go, hey, guess what? There was this thing called Twitter. Yeah, that's and, right. And I took them on, man. But, but we take ourselves so seriously in the church today. And what we really got to do is we got to look back. I mean, that's really the key to our courage is to read about these men and women of faith. If you read Hebrews 11, they were sawn in two. They were boiled in oil. Their children were snatched from them and devoured by lions. Some refused to even accept their release. You know, But all of them died, it says in Hebrews 11, all of them died, and yet none of them received what was promised, that only together with us would they be made complete. Mm-hmm. Is that not amazing? And then, of course, Hebrews 12 in verse 1, it starts talking. It says, hey, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. Now, stop. They are in the balcony of heaven. They are in the stadium of heaven looking down on the field right now, cheering us on. What are they witnessing? Are they witnessing 
pixie stick Christianity? Are they witnessing a bunch of pansy men who are not willing to fight? Are they witnessing dudes who are not willing to slay their flesh? Which we've all been there, and I'm not speaking down at men. I'm speaking up to the men. It's saying, guys, man, we've got an incredible crowd of of spectators witnessing our battle. Now let's fight this battle. And in terms of rewards, it's the eternal rewards that ultimately motivate us. Sometimes we get the earthly rewards, and that's great, but it's the eternal rewards that we're going after, and God created us to go after them. He created men as conquerors. We got to go get it, because I can assure you right now, I have dominated Jason in this podcast. I know that the things well, that I have yeah. said are far more profound than what he has and said. And there's a lot of people out there going, I wish Jason would get to talk more. No, no I don't think anyone In a very it. practical sense. Well, Dom, though. our producer, is over here giving you high five. Yeah, so. he is. We're boys. Just because he but can't reach very, over to David. In a very practical sense, though, if you think about it, when you go to your job and you go to your workplace, which is where most of the the, the disciples were trained up, you got a lot of prophets were cha- trained up. You got our our fathers, you know, like Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. They're all like business people. They're like entrepreneurs. Um, they were trained in the marketplace, and you look at the marketplace. That's where discipleship and evangelism takes place. Like that defines the context. Well, what puts us in the marketplace? The the promise of a reward. Like I would not have got into real estate if I didn't think I could make money at it. And God used the promise of money and the lure of money, which doesn't make me not money the hungry. love of it. No, it doesn't make me money hungry, but it's, it's I know I can make money and provide for my family by selling real estate. That's the direction I'm going to go. I wasn't going to do it if I had to do it for free. So I went that direction. Now here's the key. David did the same thing. There was a promise of a reward. David began to move in that direction, but then notice what David said before he went and fought Goliath. He said nothing about the reward. What he said was, who is this that dared defy the armies of the living God? Now all of a sudden, his he was elevated in his argument. He wasn't thinking, all right, man, I'll kick your butt and I'm going to collect a reward. He was thinking, wait a second, this guy represents Satan. I represent God. I'm going to kick his butt. Now we don't have anything that shows David went back and collected the reward. Now we know that it came to him. He ended up wealthy. He ended up marrying the king's daughter. But what we do know is that he went after the head of Goliath and the sword of Goliath. What he really wanted was that. He wanted the sword of his enemy. And so that's whenever I'm training young entrepreneurs, I tell them, look, go into an industry where you can make a ton of money. There's nothing wrong with that. But once you enter that industry and once you take on that client or whatever that could make you money, now money is no longer your motivator. What your motivator is, is that person. I'm here to meet their need, whether I get paid or not. I've already decided I'm going to meet their need because there is the promise for reward, monetary gain. But then once you move down that direction, money can't be your motivating factor anymore. And that sets people free. That was actually profound. It was actually really good. Uh Plus, he didn't use all the same letters to start all the words. I wanted to. So I could understand them. Perfect. Which is, yeah. Thank you. Really, really good. Talk about there is a poverty mentality in the church. I mean, there is a definite faction of the church that says, you know, you should really feel bad about yourself if you have money. Oh, boy. Wow. Don't talk about how many employees Abraham had. Yeah, or don't talk about Joseph of Arimathea. You've got to leave out Jacob. and Joseph of Arimathea showed up to the tomb of Christ with 75 pounds of spices for, for for the body, right? And I mean, shoot, that's that's a lot, a lot, a lot of loot. That's years' wages. So but you got to be careful because the love of the mo- the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It's not the you you can't love money. That's the key. But you have to love serving people. And when you serve people well, and God allows you to make a ton of money, to whom much is given, much is required. Mm. Listen, money is like air to a lung. If I'm going to go out and run a race and drop Jason in a 400-meter sprint, which actually I can't sprint 400 meters, but in a 400-meter race, I will dominate him. But if I all I did was breathe out the whole time, not take any breath in, how it doesn't work like that. You have to take breath David in. can't be you have a 400-meter race. Right now he's got a muffin top going on, like literally that hangs over his belt. Okay. belt. So <laughs> that's not very pretty. So what we talk about with uh, our course expert ownership. Are you guys we, on a CrossFit gym? What? We don't own – well, we did – we own two of them in uh, the Philippines. But anyway, so we, uh, we talk about how to make income and impact and utilize that income for impact. Now, when the Apostle Paul talks to young Timothy and he tells Timothy, hey, look, train the young men to do what? 
work with your hands so that you won't be in need. You can be a blessing to others. How? What does that mean? It means make money, young man, so that you can be a blessing to other people. Don't be a burden. Don't suck the wealth out of other people. What Jason and I say, be a fountain, not a drain. And wherever the Holy Spirit goes, if you look at John chapter 7, when it says, out of his belly, if we believe in him, we have the Holy Spirit, and out of our belly will flow, flow rivers of living water. Now, that's, of course, spiritual life that flows out of us. But if you look back at Ezekiel chapter 47, it talks about the river that flows out of the temple. And the river, obviously, it's talking back to the, you know, John chapter 7. But that river, here's what's interesting. The river gets deeper and deeper and deeper. And also trees grow along its bank, and it says that are rich with fruit. And then it says men fish out of the river. And then it says wherever the river goes, it makes the parched land fresh. You see, God gives us the ability to step into the marketplace. That's where Jesus was most of his life. You step into the marketplace, and sometimes you're a 30-yield person. Sometimes you're a 60-yield. Sometimes you're a 100-yield. Look, I'm not a billionaire guy, but there are many Christians that are billionaires. I might be a 30-yield guy, but here's what I'm going to do. People are going to be, the wherever I go to serve in the marketplace, trees will be rich with fruit. In other words, people will be blessed as a result of the work you that I bring the, to the table. You look at the promised land principle when God is speaking to the children of Israel about, you know, obviously they had come out of Egypt. And when, whenever they're about to enter into the promised land, and he said, when you enter the promised land, you will lend, you will not borrow. Now, what is the presupposition there? If you're lending and you're not borrowing, you've that means money. you've made some loot. You've made money. And you're, you're a fountain in, and not a drain. Yeah, Amen. That's right. That means right. you're in the lending position. Okay? So, yeah, God wants us to, to make money. He's, he's all about that. And he just doesn't want us to be enslaved by But it. I adamantly stand against those preachers that take tithe money and take money that they're trying to tell people to sow into their ministries, and they're buying all these jets and all this other nonsense. That prosperity gospel is disgusting to God. We've perverted it. Mm-hmm. Now, if you're an entrepreneur, go get it. And then utilize it and to as much as give. That's right. And yeah. be incredibly generous. And be wise in your generosity. That's right. It was just... Um, so some people picked me up and put me on their private plane and flew me out to for a weekend of fishing on a giant ranch. Thank you, know. you for the invite. Well, uh, I would have invited you guys, but I wanted to make sure you were here today. <laughs> but um, as we were hanging out talking, the, the, the patriarch of that family was a missionary. As he was a missionary, he got to see the business that some of his owners were doing and said, I could do that. So he went out and started doing it and giving all the money away. And he was shocked to learn um, when his accountant sat down with him, that he had given away over $50 million wow. in just in what he was doing. And then in that same conversation, I was just talking to his son, who's in his 50s. His son said, in that conversation, the accountant said, I want to let you know that your net worth is over $100 million. Wow. And he was shocked and his wife was shocked. And the wife's first words out of her mouth, we need to start giving away more. <laughs> I love that. That's cool. A guy who never, he just wanted to be a missionary. And just mm-hmm. thought, actually, the, and he never stopped being a missionary. Mm-hmm. And he's given away $50 million, and it was horrified to find out his net worth had accumulated to $100 million. He needs to give away more. My goodness. Now, that is a Christ-like, and, and it, it is the promise of the Lord. If you're generous, I will be even more generous with you. Yeah. Seek first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added That's to you. That's right. We Jason and I heard in 2010 that 600 missionaries were coming off the field a month. That's We, we heard that statistic. This was back when the recession so we were like, what are we going to do? If we had the poverty mindset, you know, you start con- contracting a little bit, you know, everybody trying to get their money together and maybe give a little here and give a little there. And we were like, no, 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 we're not doing that. God, he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He owns the hills too. Let's go get the money. Let's go find it. We went to Southeast Asia. We knew a couple of missionaries there. We started this company. We talked to them. We said, listen, you, you've been on the mission field a long time. We love you guys. Would you be willing to partner with us for about six months. Well, We're gonna we secure... first told them that we wanted to redefine their mission, to recognize that God may be calling them to be entrepreneurial missionaries, and that we had an idea. And so we were going to start a business, and we needed people to run it. And so we had to present to them first the paradigm that, hey, listen, where you're placed and how you're paid does not determine the minister. It's about passion, not position. It's about God's presence in your life. 
that makes you a missionary makes you a minister. So that's when we partnered with these guys and opened up a company. So we said, we want to open your context to the marketplace. There's nothing that changes about your mission. Nothing changes about the gospel. As a matter of fact, you're going to have more opportunity to make disciples. We want to put your context in the marketplace. And they said, okay, we're in. So we said, no longer are you missionaries. We're, we're going to call you missioneers. You're in the marketplace now. We built that company. In the first few months, we had about 60 employees. We started we, we started utilizing our real estate services and other folks that needed help with uh, either a phone or a computer. And uh, they came in, and was it six months or eight months in, we had 70 salvations. We started a little church. We we had a Bible study. Then about two years into it, Jason and I are like, we cannot handle how big this thing is getting because we decided we weren't going to make money on it. We're going to recirculate all the profit. So um, we supported and helped build a feeding uh, program, a sports program, two different churches, discipleship ministries. But we told these missionaries, listen, we want the we want the native Southeast Asians to be able, and this was in the Philippines, we want them to really start shepherding their folks, not to just be some white missionary over here, but we really want to equip and help them to be able to do it in the in in our business. And so um about two years into it, uh, the operations were getting so big that by God's amazing grace, there was an Indian company. They had given all their profits away one year. They were a very they're a global company. These guys love Jesus. They spoke at the Global Mission Summit in Tokyo, had heard about us, reached out to us, flew into Charlotte, met with us. We created a partnership, and today we've got 1,100, just over 1,100 employees. We've started multiple businesses. We've built orphanages. We're in the middle of helping build uh, the – there's a hospital being built on our orphanage site right now. We have we – have, um, uh, three CrossFit gyms we kicked off as a result of that, and the profit just keeps recirculating. This is what really excites us. Do not have a poverty mindset. Go get the money, but go use it for God's glory. So we can talk forever. In fact, we do. We're always yeah, – we, we get together, we hang out forever, and we're about to go get a steak dinner yes. with all of our wives and continue this conversation and more. But I don't know that these people that are watching this want to hear us talk anymore. So especially since they're not going to get the steak that we're going to get. Amen. So why don't you give us some final thoughts? Because we've really talked about all the stuff that men want to hear, boldness, success, going out there and getting that brass ring and then being generous. It's what men want to be. It's what they want to do. Yeah. A lot of men who are listening to this right now still like, I I want. I, I'm, I'm looking at that. And it makes me feel good, but I can't. I'm worthless. Mm. My wife's going to tell me that I suck. Mm. What? Tell us how to all those guys listening. How do they turn that around? What do well, they do? you you cannot. You got to remember first that Satan is your adversary. He makes accusations for your agreement. So as your adversary, he's going to make accusations against you. And most of t- the time, to a man, those accusations have something to do with our worth. We're worthless. You're worthless. You're an idiot. Because of you our sin. You can't do this. Okay, if he can't trip you up that way, he's going to get you to be prideful, which ultimately a prideful person knows that they're worthless anyway. And so Satan wants to throw those bad, worthless thoughts into your mind for your agreement. And if you agree with them, you'll never become the man that God wants you to be. So I would say in a very simple, practical way is that today, tomorrow, and the next day, know that Satan's your adversary. He's making accusations, and he's throwing little thoughts into your mind. And he may be throwing that through your wife, who says that you're no good for nothing or whatever. Listen, refuse to agree with the accuser because he's your adversary. And when you do that, what you'll find is you'll start to come out of that funk and become the man that God called you to be. I say it all starts with humility. Scripture teaches us in Psalm 51, King David caught with Bathsheba, took her husband's life to cover it up. And then in Psalm 51, he's repenting, and he says, O Lord... A broken spirit and a contrite heart you will not deny. A broken spirit and a contrite heart, it starts with humility. Yeah, you, you may have done some things that really stink. You have sinned in a way that you really need to make right, or there are secret sins in your life. Humbly go to the Lord. Go to some brothers that can help you, keep you accountable. Go to your spouse, go to your kids and make things right if you need to make things right. And I promise you, that humility, it says that God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. That humility will open the door of grace in your spouse. It'll open the door of grace in your children. And then 
my dad told my brother and I, and this is how we grew up, he said, you are safer in the middle of the battle watching me fight than you are at home in, quote, the safety of the living room. So we grew up mm. watching our dad defend truth and fight for truth. It's worth standing up for your faith. Your dad called you from jail to tell you that Liberty University had a baseball team. Yeah, that's exactly right. He was visual, in jail. Man. He saw. Boys, was, Liberty has. We got to go to. Hey guys, I just saw this baseball team on the on the the jail uh, television. You guys got to go there. So that that's the thing is that um, I, I love William Wallace's quote, and I hate to take the Bible and Wallace all in the same thing. But I studied Wallace in college. But in Braveheart, he has a he has a quote. Uh, and he tells Robert the Bruce, who's really kind of waffling, because Robert the Bruce has nobility, he has land, and he tells Robert the Bruce, he says, men don't follow titles, men follow courage. And your kids are not going to follow you just because you're dad. They're going to follow you because you're courageous, and the courage starts by being humble with your own sin, by being humble with their mom, by being humble in your work. And when you've done wrong, I had to apologize to my 16-year-old daughter the other day. I said, you know, I hadn't been sensitive to you, and I'm sorry. I just want you to know I love you. Man, that really attracted her to me. You know, I've got like three wives. I've got my wife, my wife and then I've got my two teenage daughters. I'll have to win their heart. But I'm telling you, that humility. And then I, tell, I, I get my kids, we get around together, and we pray together, and we read Scripture together, just a very small passage. I ask them what they think, and then I say, hey, how do you, you're looking at what's happening in culture. What do you guys think? What do you guys feel? How would you like me to respond? And my kids are like, Dad, we want you to stand. We want you to stand. What they really said was, we want you to be like your Uncle Jason and start by shortening your answers a little bit. (laughs) But hopefully that helps. You're ridiculous, Jason. I want to add one last thing, that if your wife is the one who Satan's using to speak through you, one of the first things you need to ask yourself is, what have I done to my wife that would make her be willing to put me down that way? And so you did start off talking about uh, repentance and about brokenness. And so uh, we, we don't want to suddenly... I can just hear some of the ways some guys are processing right now. Your wife is not someone that needs to be attacked if she's doing that. You need to ask, right. what, what is it that I've done that has caused her to be that person, that's that voice? So. Exactly. You Boys, know what, Buzz? You're not an idiot. That was really good. Right let's there. go get a steak, man. Come on, let's do it. Thanks for listening to On the Edge Podcast with Ken Harrison. For a lot of you, this is our first time meeting, and I want to tell the men listening about an organization I'm the current chairman of, Promise Keepers. Promise Keepers is an organization founded by Coach Bill McCartney that's led men across the world to a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. Promise Keepers is calling men back to courageous and bold servant leadership. To learn more and get involved in the mission of Promise Keepers, visit promisekeepers.org. Follow on social media or download the Promise Keepers app on Apple Store or Google Play by searching Promise Keepers. Through the Promise Keepers app, you'll receive access to devotionals, Bible studies, and other great articles and video content, and a community to build friendships, lead your family, and become transformative leaders. See you next time for On the Edge with Ken Harrison.